This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Change is the only constant in life. Many of us struggle with adapting to unexpected change. Many people will acquire a disability or illness at some point in their lives. Many more either know someone with a disability or will serve as a caregiver to a person with a disability. Feelings of anxiety, depression, and even burnout are common when faced with the physical, emotional, and financial burdens of a disability. We need time and space to acknowledge our feelings and find ways to cope. Coping is very different for different people as they adapt to their, quote, new normal, end quote. Today, we discuss ways to reduce the stress associated with serious illness, rare diseases, and disability. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juita Gupta. I'm the host of the program. And let me start off by reminding you about some statistics that we've often revisited on the program. It's the Statistics Canada information that says that one in five Canadians, that's about 22% of the population, lives with some form of disability, often one or more disabilities. And the older you get, the more likely it is that you'll acquire a disability. Why am I bringing up these numbers? I know we've talked about them plenty on the show before, but today I wanted to bring in a fresh take on the numbers. My guest today believes that you can't change a diagnosis, but you can change how you respond to it. Martel Catalano is a public speaker and co-founder of Beyond My Battle, a nonprofit organization that provides support services and educational resources to help the stress of serious illness and disability. Hello and welcome to The Pulse. Hi, thanks for having me. I, in the introduction, I mentioned that your nonprofit helps people deal with the stress of a serious disability or an illness. When you try to have these conversations with people, are they receptive to your message or do most people take the view that they have to try and do it all and stay on top of their situation? That's a great question. And I think that it varies from person to person, of course. Um, I find that in this work, some people are very, very receptive to this notion of changing their perspective, switching their lens off of the way that they are responding to, reacting to a diagnosis, whether it's their own or someone they love. Um, That being said, there's definitely a lot of people who this is a new approach to, who are very, very used to living in um, a state of what you know we often call fight or flight so we present new, anything new and they're going to fight it or they're going to run away from it of course this kind of approach takes addressing our vulnerability um our weaknesses and opening ourselves up to a new way of thinking that um i don't love the word acceptance but we're we're going in the direction of accepting our state of being and that's really new to a lot of people so it takes time mm. Do you also find that the nature of the disability in question plays a part in people's personal journeys, whether the the disability is episodic versus being chronic? Maybe we're talking about a visible disability versus an invisible disability. Does that make a difference at all? 
Yeah, yes and no. I think that it's it's impossible to say what's more difficult or what's not. I, I think I always try to remind people that it's all about the individual's personal experience. So one person could have, you know, chronic Lyme disease and that we know some people can heal from from that or um, and some people can, of course, but that person's experience with their their diagnosis may be um, totally wreck havoc on their life. And another person may have a diagnosis that is there's no cure for and they're they are visibly disabled and and ill and that person seems to be at peace with their condition so it's certainly um a mental thing that so much goes into play you know your childhood experiences your parenting your education um your your spirituality your level of income um, or your family's level of income these all are factors um but i will say that i don't like to say one is harder than the other invisible versus visible but there's certainly there's certainly many challenges with having an invisible disability or illness and and very many challenges with having um visible certainly there's more a lot of stigmas when it's visible is something you can see and when it's invisible those those stigmas kind of are there for you and they're not maybe there for everyone who sees you so I see it on both sides and, um, you know, if that answers your question. It does. And I think if you have an invisible disability, you might also find it harder to get people to support you because it might be harder to be believed if you look, quote unquote, well, or if you look like you're not sick. I just wanted to get some context, to be frank. And I was hoping that now with that context, we could talk about Beyond My Battle. What is it and what are you trying to do? So beyond my battle, um, we're a nonprofit. We're based in the U.S. out of New York, but we really serve uh, people all over the world because our mission is to reduce the stress of serious illness, rare disease, and disability um, through emotional support and educational resources, all of which are rooted in our core values of mindfulness, awareness, and compassion. And a lot of the resources we provide are available online. Um, we know that so many people living with, whether it's a chronic health condition or a disability, or they have major caregiving responsibilities are quite limited to um, you know, mobility-wise, where they can go, places they can be, time of day. Um, as well as a lot of people are just not emotionally ready to go out and, and have an interpersonal conversation, and they still want to learn in the comfort of their own home. Mm. So we provide a lot of educational content that is available on our website, um, and we do provide some online support that we're actually going to be expanding on this year, but we provide in-person support too in, in New York State where we are. Well, talk to me a little bit about some of the resources. Rumor has it you've put out not one but two ebooks. So tell me more. Yeah, so our ebooks are they're they're pretty in depth. Um, we we first created um, what we call an emotional e toolkit, which has five strategies for, or five tools for um, cultivating calmness, really anytime, anywhere. Um, that you can learn about. There's activities in there, so that's like was our starting point of providing these educational resources. And then we we started writing these ebooks as a way to dive deeper into topics um, that we knew were a really great challenge. Uh, so in the e toolkit, there are things like um, meditation and breathing and getting outside or moving your body. Um, the one tool that is what we consider the most important tool, and I think a lot of um, mental health professionals would agree, 
is is the relationship tool. And we we know that having strong and healthy, safe and supportive relationships are um, central to our well-being. You can get all the exercise, do all the yoga, eat all the right things, breathe and meditate. And if you don't have strong relationships in your life, you're kind of missing out on a core development, human developmental um yeah, concepts that we need for, quite frankly, for survival. And so we built on that first, the relationship component in the eBooks. Um, our first eBook was called uh, Moving Beyond Your Battle. It was designed for people who are living with chronic health conditions and disabilities to dive into topics about relationships, communication, understanding your stress signs on a physical and an emotional level, and there's writing activities in there, et cetera. Um, and then the second ebook was kind of the flip side of that for care partners to learn about their stress signs and learn about their how to be a support for their loved one, how to have conversations, things that are helpful to say versus hurtful and why. Um, and again, with filled with exercises. So as we continue to build on these ebooks, there'll be more about those harder to um, harder to to discuss topics um, that are really, really essential to our well-being. I think you must be reading my mind because I was about to ask you about relationships and the role of the caregiver and providing support for the caregiver. If you don't mind, I'd like to discuss a hard to discuss topic with you. Um, it might seem controversial to suggest to a caregiver that given that they're taking on so much, occasionally it's a good idea to disconnect, detach and step away from their role as a caregiver. Is that an idea that people are open to or is it just a straight up controversial proposition? That's an excellent question. Um, we do workshops for caregivers specifically on this in person, and people do attend, of course, so you know that they know it's important. But we do find when we're in those workshop settings that it is a struggle for caregivers. They, um, you know, I had a mother recently say to me that her daughter has a has a neurological a brain condition that they're finding to be so challenging and incurable and it's taking up her parents' lives. And she said, you know, I, the days where I really like where she is the most challenged are the days where I take care of myself the least. And I know that those are the days that I need to take care of myself the most, but I can't pull myself away from her. And so you're right. It is, it is like conflicting. We have this sense of guilt and this sense of um, helplessness and obligation to the people we love. But we do know now through a lot of research, especially on self-compassion and mindfulness, that as caregivers, it's it's imperative that we we take a moment for ourselves, that we are kind to ourselves first and foremost, and that we practice self-care. And that self-care may be taking just a lap around the block. It may just be sitting in a chair and taking 10 deep breaths or taking a 10-minute meditation um, or, you know, of course, even other things like eating healthily and, you know, not eating all the processed foods at the hospital or um, it, it is, it's, 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 it's incredibly important, but it is challenging for a lot of people. So you're, you're actually spot on with that. We're speaking to Martel Catalano, who is the co-founder of Beyond My Battle and also the voice of the Beyond My Battle podcast, which is amazing. I, do you happen to have a background in radio? Because your podcast sounded phenomenal. <laughs> Thanks. Um, no, I have no background in radio. I have been told for a while that I had a voice for radio, but I never, um, I never knew 
what I was doing when we started this concept. I work with a producer, so I can't say that it is me making it sound all all wonderful. But um, but no, it's it was just a it was something we wanted to do since the beginning of starting Beyond My Battle as a nonprofit. And after about a year and a half of being into the nonprofit work, we realized it was it was the right time that we had a- accumulated enough. Um, stories and and realize the importance of stories, but also the importance of information. Um, we, we really balance our podcast with its part narrative and its part educational. Um, so we, we provide storytelling from people who have the lived experience. And then the second half of each episode is um, a guest expert who discusses the topic that those three storytellers were we're talking about. Well, I have to say we're clearly sharing a brain today because I was about to ask you about the format of your <laughs> podcast. But just as we go to break, can you give us a glimpse into your planning process and tell us about how you actually put one of your podcasts together? That's a that's a great question and it, it's it's actually the most challenging part of of creating an episode of our podcast is putting the concept of it together. Because first of all, there are so many topics that we could cover. We have like a long, long list of topics that we've thought of, that people have shared with us that they want us to talk about. So we we first and foremost create this list of, of themes. And then uh, over time, we have to think about whose story have we come into contact that ha- that is a great example of this particular theme. Um, and then sometimes we have to search for people. So for instance, we have an episode coming up on the healing power of art. Um, and I knew some, per- some artists from our Beyond My Battle community, but then I did a little research and found another person who I really, really wanted to share their voice because they had done some um, wonderful TED Talks on their disability and being an artist. And then the same usually goes for the the expert voice on the episode. So if it's someone we know personally um, in our community, we reach out to them. And sometimes it takes, it takes doing a little bit more outreach. But people are usually very excited to be on it. And um, it's a topic that a lot of people care about. It's It's pretty clear that almost everybody's life is impacted by a a disease or a disability, their own or someone that they love. Allow me to put a spanner in the works because I want to ask you a controversial question. Uh, You know, people say that a certain amount of stress is good for you. So if you had an exam and you were a bit stressed out about it, you were more likely to study compared to someone who had no stress whatsoever. So at what point does stress stop being helpful to someone, whether they're dealing with a disability or they're the caregiver, and start to become a hindrance? So you're right. Stress is completely essential to being a human being, Um, whether it's an exam or it's like running out of the way of an oncoming truck. We need all the kinds of stress that are out there to to survive and get and get through a day in the life of human existence. But um, I would say that stress really becomes an issue when it starts to become what we call chronic stress. Um, Chronic stress is stress that lasts you know, not just in the moment, but it carries on throughout the day, throughout the week, you notice that you're, it's impacting your, um, your bodily systems, perhaps starts with your digestive system, you notice your sleep might be compromised, you know that you might be snapping at people, 
Um, what ultimately ends up happening is that the what I call this, the negative bias, and a lot of people refer to as a negative bias that happens um, when the chronic stress turns into what is a toxic stress cycle. You are extremely stressed and your resources of your body and your mind become depleted because you're stressed. And then you any, any um, adverse stimuli or phenomenon happens and you see it, you perceive it as negative. And that happens because we don't have the resources we normally have in our body and in our mind. Um, so then when we see things as negative, um, we get more stressed because of that negativity. And then the negativity creates stress and then the stress creates the negativity and we get trapped. And certainly we've all met someone like this in our lives who is, you know, everything becomes so um, negative feeling and ne perceived as negative, even when it may not be the case because of the pre-existing chronic stress within a person. So that's when it becomes a really serious issue um, to answer your question. Yeah. So what about you then? Are you living your best stress-free life or what kind of a relationship do you have with stress? Let's talk about your journey. Yeah, so that's an interesting um, question to ask, especially this morning as I just left teaching or leading a meditation for a group of women at a co-working space in my community. I went into the meditation and I said, you know, guys, like I am, I am dog sitting right now. There was, you know, one of the dogs had an accident over the night. We had some snow on the car this morning. I was kind of um, rushing with my partner to get here. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little stressed coming into this meditation. So wow, this is great for me. And, and, you know, even, and, and I have to remind people as we teach meditation, as I teach meditation, that, um, it's, it's a practice and, and it's a lifelong practice. There's really nobody, or there's maybe a few people, right, in the world who are like, completely stress-free that they've gotten to that state of just pure bliss. But um, I don't know them and they're very hard to come by. Um, every human being is stressed. And even though I teach about stress management and stress is a core component of Beyond My Battle, um, it's because I've lived through an, an incredibly stressful life, as many of us have living with disease and disability. And also because I know that it's always going to be there and it's just how we manage it that is that is um, really important and what matters. So what led you to establish Beyond My Battle? What is it that in your life that prompted you to take the step to set up this organization to help people with their challenges? So um, my friend and I actually started Beyond My Battle together. My friend Nell is the co-founder. Um, she's currently doing her master's uh, in social work, and she's on our board of directors. I stepped into the uh, executive director role um, about a year and a half ago, but we started the organization together because shortly after we met, we realized that um, we, we, we both have rare incurable health conditions. Um, I have a rare eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa that leads to, to blindness, and Nell has cystic fibrosis. And um, we started sharing our individual experiences um, and realized that the similarities we had were really on a psychological level and so much less on a physical level. And that's what mattered. It really was so much about these feelings of 
um, inherent shame or, um, uh, you know, isolation or embarrassment or fear of the future that we shared. And it didn't matter that Nell had cystic fibrosis and I had retinitis pigmentosa. We, we both shared this feeling of wanting to move beyond these, um, these limiting beliefs that we held about our lives and that we knew that we had the capacity to um, use our, uh, you know, emotional being, our mental state to, um, I don't love the word overcome again, but I, I, to, to kind of move through and, and I guess grow through what we were going through, we often say. So we, we decided to start a support group and that support group quickly grew. Um, and after it grew, we realized there were a lot of other people like us out there with varying conditions, um, caregivers as well were experienced the same emotions that we were, of course, a little bit different, but we were kind of all in the same boat of um, health-related uncertainty and, and what that does to our psyche and how we can move through it together. So we formed Beyond My Battle as a nonprofit in 2018, and we just celebrated our second anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Uh, but let me ask you this. If if there's um, there are so many spaces and places out there which bring people together based on a shared condition or disability, what's um, wrong with is perhaps not the best choice of word, but what is it in about those spaces that may not allow people uh, as much of an ability to deal with their mental well-being uh, if they're focused on the aspects of their disability? Yeah, and you hit on a very important um, component of why we started Beyond My Battle in the way that we did. Um, we very quickly found through our through our own relationship and then through starting the support group that diversifying the environment really allowed people to bypass the comparison and the venting and the commiseration that is often found in condition-specific groups. We were able to kind of move straight to these emotional themes that were our greatest challenges. In fact, you know, you have a tree and there's, there's these surface issues on the top of the tree, but if you go down into the roots of the tree, that is really its anchor. We have a lot of shame and fear and anxiety and depression and um, judge, judgment and guilt and all of these real feelings that are, again, they're at the root. They're, they're what are keeping us, um, locked in this this state that we may be stuck in emotionally. So we we realized that the diversity we provided being that you could have any condition, physical condition, illness, disability, and be a caregiver as well of someone um, and be a part of this community, we were able to go to those roots. We were able to really dig up those feelings and discuss them. And again, it, it really... Um, mitigated the the venting. I, I just have to say, and I know some people don't really love that because condition-specific groups are helpful to some people. And, and, I, and I do think they serve a purpose in terms of getting condition-specific news and updates and, and cure information and, and questions about a, a medication or a treatment. But when we're talking about our emotions, um, that venting has actually been proven um, to, to actually in the long-term do our well-being more harm than good. It feels like a release at first, but over the long term, venting has been shown to 
worsen our emotional state. So um, that's what it really allowed us to do to answer your question. We were able to diversify that environment and then kind of bypass those comparisons. We're speaking to Martel Catalano, the co-founder of Beyond My Battle. This morning you taught a meditation class and Beyond My Battle is all about mindfulness. Are the two things the same? No, actually, um, they're, they're similar um, and they go hand in hand. So I like to say that um, mindfulness is a practice that can be applied to a lot of things. So you can practice mindfulness when you eat. You can practice mindfulness when you talk. You can practice mindfulness when you work and when you walk and all these things. Mindfulness is really um, the act of being aware and being um uh, non-judgmental and curious uh, moment to moment in an embodied state. So we practice meditation as a tool to further that state of being. Uh, meditation, there's many, many ways to meditate. With mindfulness meditation specifically, we are redirecting our awareness to the present moment over and over again, but we are observing without judgment and with curiosity each passing thought and um, maybe not labeling it, but just noticing it. Um, and so it's it's a tool that we use in the practice of mindfulness. And just before I let you go, I've got room for time for one last question. You talk about building resilience. Explain the word resilience to us. So someone recently explained resilience to me in a great way, and I'll just share what they said. Um, Resilience is the really the act of or the practice of bouncing back after something takes you down. Um, so think of it like one of those um, <laughs> those balloon things that are like stationary and you punch it and it bounces right back up. Mm -hmm. um, resilience is that cultivated um, act of facing adversity and then coming back to a state of um, equilibrium or balance or wherever you're um, equanimity is after that adversity takes you. And Beyond My Battle helps people find that balance in their lives. It's been so great getting to know you and the work that you're doing. You're doing a wonderful job. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you for having me. That was Martel Catalano, a public speaker and co-founder of Beyond My Battle, a nonprofit organization that provides support services and educational resources to help the stress of serious illness and disability. To learn more about Beyond My Battle, go to beyondmybattle.org. I think that self-care is a radical act. In a culture where we are taught to go harder, faster, and be stronger, knowing that you need help and being prepared for, uh, to ask for help can be a radical and revolutionary act. But I think we need to go beyond individuals and have a conversation about putting in place community supports and bringing about systemic change. Take, for example, someone who is a caregiver to a person with a disability or even someone who lives with a chronic disability. If they have an employer who's willing to work with them around flexible schedules, work from home, or even allowing them to take time off work without fear of losing their jobs, these are the kinds of initiatives that can really reduce the stress of an illness or disability. 
But that's not something that can be dealt with through stress management. And I'm not at all trying to downplay the importance of stress management. But that's the kind of thing that requires community support and systemic change. So I hope that as we look at this conversation about self-care and stress management, we can expand the boundaries of that conversation to ensure that we also have conversations that are related and equally important about systemic and social change. Head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse where I'll have a few additional thoughts about today's program. And if you missed my conversation today, please go on ahead and download our podcast available at your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. I'd like to thank Martel Catalano, my guest today. The Pulse is produced by Enrique Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Most of all, thank you for listening. We loved having you be a part of the journey. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.